Welcome to the SLN Podcast, where your hosts interview top industry influencers and break down the latest trends in sports, fitness, fashion, and innovation. The SLN Podcast is on now. This episode of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast is presented by Empirica. That's Empirica, E-M-P-I-R-I-K-A. Empirica exists to amplify your brand's growth a digital partner to the ambitious, a creative engine launching brands and igniting growth, the unagency where relationships matter, not transactions. Let's connect at EmpiricaMedia.com. That's EmpiricaMedia.com. Let's get the show started. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Lauren and you are listening to the Sport Lifestyle Network podcast. My guest today is Ed Buckley, founder and CEO of PureFit. PureFit is a flexible fitness solution that, from a consumer perspective, operates very similar to fitness aggregators like ClassPass and GymPass. The big differentiator, and why I think PureFit is the Trojan horse, is payment. PureFit lives in the corporate wellness category and is fully paid for by health insurance. Ed is one of my favorite people in the industry. He is a voracious learner and leader who operates with a great deal of compassion, awareness, and focus. COVID, as we all know, created a lot of chaos for fitness operators. Many are struggling to innovate, stay relevant to members, and find alternate revenue streams. PeerFit, in contrast, used this time to enhance operational efficiency, strengthen their culture, and prepare for what's next. Ed and I cover a lot of topics in today's episode, including how Fitbit made counting steps cool, the next big personal data metric, and the value and behavior of the 65-plus crowd. We also make some bold predictions, so make sure you listen to the end. If someone were to look at your background, you were on this, what I would call an academic track. Um, You have your PhD, you have your your MPA, your PhD, and there is an overlap between what you're doing now and all of the academic pursuits early on. Can you just speak a little bit to your academic journey and how that evolved into Pure fit, which is probably going to give us your why and what you do and why you're here. Because I don't know that we've ever run it back to the collegial years. No, we haven't. I'm probably the least academic PhD you'll ever meet. Um, look, I love to learn. I'm very, very curious by nature in terms of just trying to soak up information and knowledge. And you know, I actually graduated undergrad in three years instead of four. And so I was kind of had a leg up to go test and do whatever I wanted to do. And while my practical work experience during that whole time was out in the fitness community and the wellness community, I kept feeling like just working wasn't satisfying my need. And, you know, went and got my MPH during, you know, getting a policy degree while the ACA is being debated. Or uh, at that time, I, I actually pitched my, my kind of thesis at, um, at, for my master's as this idea of what PeerFit would become. And I remember them saying, hey, this is your master's thesis. This isn't Shark Tank. And I did have someone who was listening who said, we would love that. Come up the hill uh, and do your PhD and we'll let you work on this company. And we just want to have something cool and new in our behavioral lab. And it was a great blending of if I was just an academic, I would be unsatisfied because I feel that too many of them just do work and don't do anything with it, right? Do the research, but then where's the implementation, right? Where's the greater good? Uh, And then just being in the field, 
wasn't satisfying. I felt like there was a, a greater level of scrutiny and knowledge gathering that could be going on. So it was just a great blend for me. And to, to such an extent that even now, um, you know, I've been looking at online courses that I can be taking just so that I always am soaking up as much information to, to take that info and execute it into the real world, right? How do I drive value to as many people as possible with the knowledge that I can go and, and drink up? That's really what it comes down to. And then the idea for PureFit, you said that was part of your thesis. Where did that idea come from? Like, what was the genesis of that for you? Yeah, and maybe so, tell our listeners what you do really quickly and then the genesis. Probably pretty important. So for those of you, this hold on, what is PureFit? So what we do is we help employers and health plans. Think of Aetna, Cigna, right? Those brands that you've heard. How do we help their uh, members and employees get into great fitness experiences? At the time, almost a decade ago, Worksite Wellness was very, very offline and analog. Worksite Wellness was basically, hey, Lauren, if you work for me, um, I'll subsidize $10 of your gym membership, but you have to go to the same gym for the whole year. You've got to sign up and every month you've got to fax me some usage report telling me that you went. So we knew that that was a pretty archaic system that could be you know, disrupted with technology. Also at that time, you started to see traditional big box gyms being disrupted with boutique classes right? And, and kind of small group personal training. So you saw these two areas of our industry really converging together from a disruption perspective. And so all in a one-stop shop, you as an employer or use a health plan can say, we want our people to be able to go to the best places, gyms, studios, streaming, personal training, you know, handle all of that for us. And so it was both a quality improvement as well as an administrative burden improvement. So that's what PeerFit um, did. And subsequently, we've gone from you know, just employers to health plans, and now actually over 65 into the Medicare Advantage population. Um, and, and really on the under 65 side, I think we just kind of disrupted an archaic model and created this new model. Whereas on over 65, this model exists, and we're really disrupting it with more modern uh, solutions. So that's what we do. Um, but yeah, what was going on was I was obsessed with this idea because I was a fitness instructor, as well as getting my policy degree. And once again, the two sides, you, I'd see in fitness class people saying, I really want to try new places. I want to go to more than one place. The calendars are offline PDFs. I, I, don't, I can't sort. I can't put it in my calendar. I don't know where my friends are going. Or I've got dollars from my employer and I'm just stuck going to the same place all the time. And you just hear that over and over again that people were thirsty to try new things, but they were really being hindered. Um, and frankly, I think the employers and health plans wanted to do better. They just, that's not what they do, right? If you're Aetna or Cigna, you're a health insurance company. You're not there to build a network of gyms and studios and streaming and a wellness currency that flows through it. That's what we're here to do. And you had this idea really before the launch of ClassPass, which was in June of 13. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So so we launched uh, January 2011. And, and it was interesting. A lot of people don't know this about us and ClassPass. We never knew each other. Uh, like the teams didn't, and, and I know Fritz now, and, and obviously from a professional relationship, we've gotten to know each other. But at the time, we were spinning out a bunch of different pilots as they were, and they were always named the same thing, right? Like the the um, passport program and all these other initiatives, and we would almost launch them within a week of each other. So much so that we even joked, like, do they have a spy? And you know, we're 
four people down in Gainesville, Florida. So clearly not. But it was just so funny that we were coming up with the same thoughts that they were. And the media certainly thought of them as a much more sophisticated New York, well-funded. We were a bunch of scrappy grad students down at University of Florida. So to some extent, it was pretty gratifying to know that whether we had all the money in the world like they did or not, we were still coming up with the best ideas. But the the big difference, though, is you initially and to this day, now granted there's been additions to the business model, chose to pursue something that no other fitness brand, I will say, particularly in the consumer space has chosen to, but really go after the carriers. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that decision, um, your ability to stay focused during the chaos, and we'll get to some of the chaos lately, particularly as it relates to the pandemic. And then the new speculation now everybody thinks Apple's about to blow everything up, right, with their new healthcare model or healthcare subscription, I should say. Um, but was that carrier focus always important? I, I assume yes. And then the discipline to stay the course despite all the shiny objects popping up, which I think is really quite remarkable. So can you speak to that for a moment? Yeah, if we were to ever write an autobiography of Pierfit's journey, it you know, the subtitle would basically be doing things the board told us not to, right? We have a bunch of commercial real estate people who've constantly said, you must have an office, you must have an office. We've been remote, right, the whole time. And now the whole world's remote and we said, see, right? Um, you know, er, early on they said, Well, look at class pass, they're direct to consumer, they're getting lots of people. Just do what they do. Go consumer, go consumer, go consumer. And we chose not to. And ironically now. Right, class passes come over and and tried to into the employer space. So I think for us, we knew that we weren't in New York City and San Francisco. We weren't going to have access to endless amounts of capital or people who could just open their Rolodex and let me just call this person and get you this. Much more in the trenches, had to fight for everything. So we had to be very methodical. And while it takes a long time to get a health plan or a health carrier, once you're in right? You can kind of control those elements with them and be a good partner. When you're in direct consumer, you need a big pot of money from a cost of acquisition perspective. And retention is such an issue in this space with other players, as as you've well seen. And so we just knew that it wasn't going to be as sexy, wasn't going to be as quick, but we'd be able to methodically walk through our order of operations a little bit easier, I think. And, and that just made us feel more comfortable. And I just looked at it once again academically and said, what is the better path to get to people? And I, our team right, really thought this was always the right answer. And we still think it's the right answer. Yeah, um, super interesting. I'm just taking some notes here. Thank you for sharing. Um, because I, I, I approached the elephant in the room there with Apple. So what are you, what is your take on this subscription model? I feel like people are treating it as news, but I don't think it's really news to anybody. And the next evolution of that is, are they really after fitness or are they after healthcare and specifically data? I suspect the latter, but obviously neither of us have any inside scoop unless you're buddies with Tim Cook. And I, and I'm not aware of, of that relationship. So uh, what do you what do you think's happening? What is their goal? How do you see it disrupting the current yeah. state? I think people are missing half the picture here, which is everyone read the fitness side. Everyone has seen their Orange Theory, Apple Watch, right? They're seeing all that, which is correct. But what they're not seeing is before they laid that groundwork, they started working with health plans three years ago, four years ago. 
Um, yes. A lot of people okay. don't realize this. No. So I, it's public knowledge. People can go look at it. I'm not going to divulge everybody's secrets here, but there are health plans that we work with that are incredibly close with Apple. It's a public program. I mean, this watch right here that I'm wearing, this Apple watch was paid for by my health plan. Okay. And they made sure to be a distribution mechanism for Apple to get out into this space and start working with health plans and start to understand, well, what's the right information we should learn about. Now, what they're not doing for everybody freaks out, thinks, oh, they're just, they're sharing my information and that's why my health insurance rates are being jacked up. To be quite frank, the health insurance haven't gotten sophisticated enough to actually use any of that information, right? Apple's got it, but the health plans haven't figured out how to use it from an actuarial claims adjustment perspective on an individual basis, right? They do it population-wide. So I think they aren't as interested in pure fitness disruption as maybe some fitness people are fearful. And maybe they're fearful simply because the fitness industry just got gutted by COVID. And You've got one company, i.e. Peloton, really kind of holding the keys to the kingdom right now. So the traditional powers are maybe paranoid more so than usual. But Apple, first of all, Apple can come into any industry it wants to and disrupt it, right? It's kind of like Amazon. If you hear Amazon's coming to your industry, you should be worried. So Apple could do that. Look, Apple could buy Peloton. There's tons of rumors about that. I don't think that that's necessarily where they're going. I could be totally wrong. But I think, once again, what they're trying to do is just be a great... Um, I guess, builder of, of products for their consumers. And right now they see fitness and healthcare as great segments that they can enhance. I think also there, there's going to come a point where it's like, hey, we built a good enough solution. If we dive any deeper, then we're going to have to become specialists in only that, which once again, they're very good about staying in their lane and letting partners do things for them. So um, just because the wave is coming on shore doesn't mean it's a tsunami is what I would say. Yeah, I mean, you gave a far more academic answer than I would, but I, I agree with you on all points. Um, I think there will be some natural attrition and cannibalism. I don't know that it will be on a percentage basis that much greater than we see when a new product or service does come to market. Um, the whole wristwatch thing, I mean, it's Apple's convenient, right? We already have our phone, we already have our TV, but I don't see it really... I think I think for them it's a data play, and I even would wonder if they intend to sell aggregated data back to insurers. And yes, so that's uh, the play that I think. If I if I were to make my prediction, that's what I think they're going to do. Now I'll give you my next big prediction of what I think is going to happen. Is right, Fitbit was acquired by Google. Whoop has come up and been very interesting. And then what's the ring? Aura, right? Aura. The, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think Apple might buy one of them and leave Amazon or Google to buy the other one. Um, because I do think, once again, Apple's making a data play here. And so I could see, I could very much see Apple buying Whoop. I'll put it that way. Well, and and both Whoop and Aura have made some money moves, I'll call them, post-pandemic in partnerships with the NBA and the PGA. And I've actually worn an Aura for about a year and a half now. And it's interesting, but to your point, to on the insurance carriers, I don't think most consumers really know how to meaningfully interpret that data either. It's it's sort of I look at it every day and I take a pass and I'm like, hmm, heart rate was X, Y, or Z. Yeah, I think that's a great area for innovation over the next two to five years. Is I think this is Fitbit 2.0, right? If if people who weren't really part of that movement or maybe they weren't paying attention or they weren't old enough, um, you know, a decade ago. 
Fitbit basically taught the country about modern wearables and steps and heart rate in a way that had never been done. If you think back 20 years ago, okay, mm -hmm. pedometers were like so terrible. Um, and, you know, office, worksite, wellness, step contest, no one wanted to participate. Fitbit made steps sexy. They made steps something you talked to people about. Ooh, how many steps did you have, right? And so to that extent, Apple had the ability to count your steps and... That's not what they did. They then went and took another step and said, let's put some other data in there. Now, WHOOP and them are going to be the next thing with stress, st strain, right? They, they measure strain and some of these other things. I think strain is going to be the new steps. So a decade ago, our country fell in love with steps, comparing them, talking to each other about them, and it became mainstream and went all the way up into Medicare Advantage with the seniors. Um, now you've got two new brands that have come out and are teaching us about a new set of data, which is eh, steps don't really matter. Let's talk about activity and strain, right? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your variable heart rate. Those are things that, once again, just my guess, two to three years from now, everyone's going to be talking about. So then what do we do with it? How's the data used? So, okay, this is so not where I intended to go with our conversation today, but I'm loving it. I agree with you with a caveat. One, it, it feels extra nerdy because understanding HVR and strain is a little bit more nebulous than steps. So there's a piece of me that says- Steps were nerdy a decade ago. Steps were super nerdy a decade ago until they weren't. But they were tangible. You know, they're very tangible. You know, you either did them or you didn't. Uh, the other thing, and this is something I think about all the time, not in mainstream fitness, but if you listen to people who talk a lot about diet and exercise and all this stuff, 98% of the population, the formula, you don't need to be keto, you don't need to be a vegan, and hey, honorable paths, if people choose those nutritional programs for themselves, do what makes you feel amazing, right? And everybody's body is different. However, most of us just need to eat whole food, move regularly, and make sure we get a decent amount of sleep. And then you have your bookend populations, your elite athletes and people who have health conditions or, or aged, aged the aged population. They probably need to be a little bit more proactive. Not that we all won't benefit from this, but sometimes I look at everything and I think, at what point have we just blown it out too much and made it completely overly complicated for someone to just start where, and that's where the steps are brilliant, right? It was very easy to just start walking. Yeah. It, look, I agree. Except for all of my academic studies show me that people are incredibly irrational, look for excuses. That's almost why they like to jump around between things. It gives them an excuse of why it's not working for them because they weren't following it. And what I would say is it's almost better that it's this nebulous score. Hey, you're at 80% today because I can go to you and complain, which people actually love to do and say, oh, I'm only at 80% today. That's why I didn't work out hard today. Or that's why I'm not going to work out because I'm only at 70%, right? So if we can get strained to such a specific score where you just talk about, I'm only at 70% today, well then, yeah, it's going to be something people talk about. It gives them an excuse. That's what people love. Look, telling people you need to eat right, exercise, and get more sleep is nothing new. You'll never educate your way to behavior change. So from the, and from the behavior change guy, how do you create behavior change? Because that's essentially what this pandemic has also shown a spotlight on, right? So what are the elements to behavior change that the fitness audience might be interested in? 
So number one, I mean, you hear it in the name of our company, so I'll, I'll pull it full circle for you, is, is why we call the company PeerFit. What we figured out early, early, early in PeerFit's days were the, uh, it was named after, I'll tell you this, so, so it was named after a group fitness class, how you could go to the same Thursday 4 p.m. class, and I might not actually know much about you, but we always go together, and I might see you and be like, ah, you missed last week, right, and bust your chops, and everyone's equal everyone's equal. And the joke I always made about was I could be at the gym busting somebody's chops and the guy could be the university president and I wouldn't know about it. Because when we're in that class, we're all even. We're all there together, right? We're all peers. And and so you, you hear community, you hear tribe a lot, I think something almost overused, but it really comes down to social. The retention in physical activity is highest when you're doing it with other people. And, and so that's really what peer fit is always about was, can I eliminate barriers and then only make it about you and your peers being the stickiness, the glue and the decision-making. And that's where we saw, you know, a, a lot more uh, traction is, is when it was all about getting rid of barriers about payment or, or where do you, you're a member of this place. I'm a member of this. Hey, if we're all a member of the same places and payment isn't an issue, it's just about decision-making. And your three to five person pod can make those decisions. But that's really what it comes down to. Look, there's studies. The number one reason why men are physically active is because they're female spouse. And the number one reason why women are active is because they're female friends. So women kind of rule the world when it comes to physical activity. Uh, and we hold the purse strings um, also. But Indeed. We're going to pause that conversation because that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Hey, I want to get back to some more temporal stuff, which is obviously this pandemic. We've seen a lot of businesses change gears. You and I talked a little bit about both class pass and gym pass. Um, you guys are still marching down the same lane. They have shifted and pivoted a little bit. And what's really interesting to me, and, and if you want to riff on either of those two brands, um, I'm sure our listeners would enjoy it. But what what's really interesting to me is the discipline and the leadership that I feel like you and your company have exuded, particularly being remote, which everyone else is now getting used to throughout this time. So when you think about this pandemic and how it has impacted you and your business, can you speak to a high point and a low point, and then we'll get to the change point. Sure. Absolutely. I, I, what I will just say, you know, to your thing is I have tremendous respect for all of the players in our space and some have done well, some have not done well, some have attempted to do well and market forces were just very, very difficult right out there in the last six months. I said three months, but it's now been six months. Right. And what set us up for success in this time was things we did beforehand, which is whether we do or don't, but um, it can be argued, but in our minds, we don't compete with anyone else. We know what we're trying to achieve. We put our blinders on. We do not care if people copy us. We do not care if people come into our space. What we care about is do does the lane we're going down feel like it's the right lane? And let's do everything that we can do to get down that uh, lane as efficiently as possible and as successfully as possible. So that helped us. I think a lot of people started looking around in the pandemic. What do I do? Who should I copy? We already had that discipline ingrained. So I think that was a good thing. Low point is easy. Um, in March, when we made that decision that there's a better chance that this is longer than shorter term, 
that we think that this is going to be worse than better um, on the overall market, uh, that the, it was just going to be so uncertain to reduce the size of our staff, reduce our footprint, um, cut off, you know, kind of lock down some of the things we were focusing on from an innovation and R&D perspective and say, once again, what are the things that matter to us today and possibly into the future? That was a really painful day. Very, very interesting. I was talking about a book I was reading earlier. I was reading a book at that time about the story of Netflix. And literally two weeks after we did a layoff of some staff, I got to the point in the Netflix book where the same thing, it was the dot-com bubble burst. And they had to lay off, I think it was like 40% of their staff or 50% of their staff. I mean, it was a pretty large amount. And and the, the founder talks about what that day was like. And I remember reading that chapter and it's still being so, the scars being so uh, new uh, because we have such a great culture. And it was very, very painful and personal to me, uh, unfortunately, right? I'm, I'm sure there's other people who can do that and go about their day and they're fine. But it was very, very painful because those people were our friends, family, and helped you know build the company. So absolute low point. Having said that, the high point was, that was a Friday, was the following Monday. Um, what we did for everyone who stayed is we said, hey, this is what just happened. Take the rest of the day off, take the weekend off. But when you come in Monday, come in focused, right? Come in what we need to do, figure out what we think the, the right things are. What we're not gonna do is to say, hey, you need to do the 10 tasks you used to do plus five tasks from someone who just got done. Actually, what are you going to come and say, what are the only five tasks I need to be doing now? And the energy and focus that people came in with on that Monday, and we did a hackathon that week. Okay, what do we know? What should we be doing? Was so energizing. It was the best one we've ever done. And we do them a couple of times a year. It was, it kind of renewed my spirits that, the team got it. We did what we need to do. They were more focused than ever. And then what went on was the next 90 days was completely, basically gutting the company in terms of processes, not people, but in processes from the ground up to say, there are things we are doing today that we did when we were in major build scale mode, when we didn't have things built out. We've got a lot of the platform built. We've got a lot of our customers in place you know, let's kind of rip these uh, old processes out. And once again, it was painful. Um, but we got to June and the company was the best version of the company it had ever been. And you talk about the previous 90 days were one of the worst times in terms of just the market and morale. And you just laid people off and, you know, all of these things. But then you got to June and all of a sudden you look around and we kind of completed the process. We even told them where the kind of the circle was coming full circle to everybody. We got there and said, this is a way better company, right? Like, I'm sorry COVID happened to the world. I'm sorry we had to lay people off. We brought some people back, but my God, the, the company is so much better for it because what we as a team decided to do, so. And is that something you did? Did you engage external support to help lead you into some of these changes organizationally and culturally, or is that a homegrown effort? Yeah, a lot of it was homegrown. Then we brought in some new external people. So I brought in a new chief of staff. We let go of some senior people, right, who we knew were tied to certain processes. And then we went and hired a group here in town who I knew pretty well that could help us be just a complete objective mirror of our tech processes with our tech team 
and organizationally from an org chart perspective. And actually what we did was we had a lot of siloed teams and said, how do we build cross-functional teams? The, and so we, ended up, we call them North Star teams. So the company now has three North Star goals that the whole company rolls up to. And basically what we did was we built three cross-departmental teams um, that, you know, North Star team one's job is to only think about, innovate, and make the decision on what innovations and roadmap decisions we're going to do related to North Star one, and then two, and then three, right? So we tried to democratize uh, decision-making from it just being department heads who then kind of gave everybody their marching orders to let innovation flow between departments. Let's get people at the top, middle, and you know, bottom of the org sharing ideas, and let's give them really clear focus. Once again, to say, throw everything out that we used to do. This is the only thing that matters. These three goals, if what you're working on doesn't roll up to these three things, then don't work on it right now. This, these are the only thing that matters. I think that's amazing. And I hope other leaders who are at those decision points take your words, maybe even reach out to you after this, because I think efficiency, discipline, and and frankly, leadership, as I have observed your guys' growth for the last decade are the three words. And you're a nice guy, obviously. Um, but those are just things I've always really admired about what you guys are doing, especially, and this is going back to the very beginning of the conversation, you know, you talk about Medicare and the over 65 population. It's not a sexy population to have or market to for so many people, but the reality is these people have time, they have typically money, they are consistent, and there's a lot of them. You know, the baby boomers right now are in their 60s and 70s, and how how much of that pop, how active is that population when you look at your data and you look at usage and activity metrics for let's say the coveted 25 to 45 crowd versus the 65 plus with the caveat that I know this is a newer audience. What differences do you see? Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just grabbing my, my cable here. So my computer is around. Um, it, what we see is something pretty interesting overall, which is this population. A lot of people thought that seniors don't like technology. They don't like gyms and studios, right? Uh, they just go on walks. And in Medicare Advantage, almost every single plane out there has some sort of a mechanism to pay for fitness. But for the last 20 years, all they've done is the same program, um, which pays for you to just go to the gym. What about studios? What about streaming? Uh, what about bringing it online so people can make those decisions? So yeah, I mean, we already worked with health plans. We already had disrupted this nothing but gyms model. And not that gyms are bad, but we just want people to have choice, right? And so we went into the Medicare Advantage space, and it's interesting, people wouldn't believe this, 60% of all of our new registrations happen online. They don't happen over the phone. They don't happen in our offline mechanisms that we allow people to do, whereas all of our contemporaries who we've disrupted are the opposite you know, of that. Most of them happen offline. Uh, 10,000 people a day turn 65 in this country. So there's a market that's growing. And then from a market um, opportunity perspective, people always say, oh my gosh, Ed, this was you know months ago. What if Bernie gets elected? What's going to happen to your model? Or what if this person gets elected? Or what if Trump stays in power? And, and, and I always tell them, I'm like, Trump stays in power. Things are the way that they are you know, from how our business model works. 
if someone that is, you know, Bernie or Biden or anyone else comes in and does, hey, let's give Medicare for all or Medicare gets dropped to 55, that's probably more an accurate stair step is we go down 65, well, we're already in Medicare. That's even, you've just increased our population that we can go after, right? 55 and over instead of just 65 and over. So I think that we've really set ourselves up both short-term and long-term for some great success. You know, we, we've talked with our under 65 contemporaries, uh, you know, the CEOs of those companies you mentioned before. And I, that's actually one of the things we always talk about is they think that we're crazy because they didn't understand the Medicare market. And I remember just explaining to them why we went in there and what we did. And all of them are always like, you just see it written all over the face, like, oh, we should have thought of that. I wish we knew more about that. Like, it, it's just such a, it, it once again, kind of an unsexy area, um, but you can have a lot of great impact and value. And it's a great market to be in, to be inside of that space. Because once again, the two people, the two uh, brands have the same product that they had 10 years ago. So for us to be a tech first platform, modern, not use the word silver at all, it was just, uh, it's been great. Uh, yeah, the silver is a very popular word. But but back to usage, though, in terms of daily activity or once a week, twice a week, is there a difference? Oh, yeah, I got some good stats for you. Okay. Oh, so I love it. Hit me. In our under 65 population, okay, so think about this. For every thousand people that sign up for a PeerFit account, that means someone else is paying for it, right, if they have a PeerFit account. Their employer, their health plan, something like that. Generally speaking, for every thousand accounts, um, you'll see about 60 to 70% of them be active at some point throughout the year, right? But on any given month, about 30 to 40% of them are active. If you just took a random month and said, out of that thousand you know, people, how many are active right now? On our over 65 population, that number is 65% are active on any given month. So if they sign up, man, they use it. So then COVID hits and you've got a population that aren't big into streaming, right? It's just not been an area they've been using. Of everyone who went onto our streaming platform, they average five videos a month on our senior population. Wow. So they're watching more than one workout a week right now. It's been, like I said, just completely surprising. And then the other thing that was really surprising to us was we assumed that there'd be a, a very heavy desktop then tablet, then mobile uh, from usage, it's the other way. So nearly 60% is on mobile, then about 40% is on desktop, and then almost none of them, very, very small single digits are using tablet. Interesting. When they use PeerFit. Well, I have never personally marketed to that age group. However, I've always brought it up because I've always thought there's a lot of value in that. And even my parents, I will, I won't name the brand, uh, but they are champions of a very popular boutique fitness class. They are always the oldest people in there. And I actually took a moment to write to the chief marketing officer at one point several years ago. And I was like, listen, I know it's not sexy, but they've got time, they've got money and they're consistent and they don't change. So we were having breakfast, uh, Todd, our chief growth officer, and I were having breakfast with one of these major brands that are out there in New York. And they were telling us about a user survey they had just done. And they found that they're like, oh my gosh, we found that 60 and over ends up being one of our most loyal segments. It's growing. And now we're going we're gonna to try to double down on it. So I will tell you, and, and this is one of the more modern, sexy, cool brands that are out there. And so, you know, I, I think people are starting to get on that. 
the senior population doesn't mean grandparents like it used to, right? All it just means is that person probably has a little bit more time than they used to, but they've got phones, they love fitness, you know, they're great consumers. Uh, and that's just going to happen, as I mentioned, as 10,000 people age into 65 every single day, you're going to keep seeing it. I saw a really funny meme the other day and it said, uh, what 50 looks like in 1985 and then what 50 looks like in 2020. And it was Blanche Devereaux from the Golden Girls and then J-Lo on a pole in the Hustlers movie. I I saw the same thing. I thought, I was like, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Right? Totally true. Um, I feel like I have so much more I wanted to cover in our conversation today, but we are pushing up on time. Um, is there anything else you want to share specifically about PeerFit or what you guys are doing? Um, if not, my final closing question is, of course, it's twofold. Um, what was one of the bigger obstacles you faced in your entrepreneurial journey? And then the biggest learning? And they're, they're probably, you know, a, a tandem. Oof. Um you know, I think there's some platitudes that you could use, like, oh, you've got to learn to delegate and trust people and, you know, all those things. But then there's the real version of them. I think if you ask any founder or entrepreneur, it, it'll ha it'll go with what their personality is, right? I'm a bit more hands-on and assertive. So there are naturally things that I don't end up having as problems. And then there are problems that are created by that and vice versa. If you're a little bit more laissez-faire, right? So to me, the toughest things are always butterfly effects of, I think, my own personality um, and, and understanding how to mitigate those and, you know, how to trust people and get out of their way. And so, you know, I think what I've learned to do to stay out of people's way is to just actually remove myself from meetings. So I'll use a perfect example, the most relevant one. So when we got that outside group to come in, I told them, I will meet you on day one of the meeting. I'll meet you on the last day of the meeting. And my chief of staff was there every single day. I said, but if I'm in the meetings, I'm going to suck all the oxygen out of the room. I'm going to constantly interrupt, right? Like, and I just know that about myself now. So I, you know, I try to, to do that. So um, I think the hardest thing is just sometimes battling yourself and, getting out of your own way or getting your yourself out of other people's way. And that doesn't just mean delegating, but I just mean, once again, your, your personality. And, and it's kind of like being a parent to the extent of sometimes you kind of have to let your kid fall down so that they figure out on their own how to get back up, right? If you're constantly picking them up, you're always going to be doing that, right? And, um, you know, if you're going to scale to where you need to scale, that's just something you're going to have to learn how to do. And you're either going to be successful at it or you're not. Probably the most unique answer I've heard to that question. So thank you. Thank you for your candor. Thank you for your awareness. Um, where can people find you and any, any closing, any closing things you want to share with the audience? Well, they can find me in my COVID shelter here in Tampa Bay. But no, I'm <laughs> look. I'm I try to be very active on LinkedIn. So Ed Buckley. Um, I try to like I, said, I try to be active and I try to be very transparent on there. So um, there's data that I'm sure maybe our team wouldn't enjoy that I share with the public. But I think it's our obligation to just show positive light 
to people uh, when we're seeing something good, when we're seeing something bad in terms of trends. So I always try to call those out and once again, just be transparent with with uh, stories that we're seeing out there. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. Peer fits on you know everything, Instagram and our marketing team just so good on Instagram. So like, right here is an Emmy from our marketing team. They won oh. this past year. Yep. So right there for a commercial they produced. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're really, really fun to follow. And, and so I'd highly suggest you do follow them on everything, but Instagram's really good. Okay. Well, I do follow on Instagram. I follow you and I follow Pierre. I'm sorry, LinkedIn. Um, I will get on Instagram. You will have one more follower as of today, probably many more, but definitely me. Uh, well, thank you so much. Um, thank you for being the leader that you are. I, I know Bob Iger is one of your idols and we can get to that another time. Netflix was another great example. I, Patty McCord, I think was part of, uh, their HR team for many she, years. She was their HR team. Yeah. Yeah. And so she is someone that I, I also admire quite a bit. Um, I look forward to seeing what else happens for you guys throughout the rest of the year. I'm sure it will be all good things and um, keep on doing what you're doing. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you to our guests and sponsors. Without them, there would be no Sport Lifestyle Network. If you're listening via Apple Podcast or Spotify, be sure to rate us and subscribe. For more podcasts and to sign up for the newsletter, go to sportlifestylenetwork.com. Again, sportlifestylenetwork.com. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.